When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you're listening to the 100th episode of the No Filler Music Podcast. Q, we did it. Pew, pew, pew. What? We made it to 100. So Q, what are, what are some of your... If you reflect back on our 100 episodes, what are some of your favorite moments? Favorite, not necessarily moments, but favorite albums that we've talked about. Um, what are some of your favorite episodes? I'd say for sure, Helplessness Blues, the Fleet Foxes episode. I just love listening to Fleet Foxes, and you know, I'll take any excuse to do it. Um, fuck, man, there's. It's kind of crazy to think about about how much we've covered so far. I'll tell you, one of my favorites is the Jimmy World episode. Really? Because yeah, only because we. I think we we. It basically it gave me an excuse to dive into the history of email music. Mm-hmm. which I've never really dove into. And I enjoyed yeah. kind of, you know, learning about the fact that emo is not what, what you and I thought emo was when we were growing up. No. You know dude. what I mean? Yeah. The history yeah, of it absolutely. goes a lot, a lot farther back than I ever thought. And the sound has evolved quite a bit um, from what we know of it from the, the 2010s, you know. Yeah, uh, I was also, you know, I'm a huge fan of every single Spoon episode that we did, just because... Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and as far as, like, memorable episodes, <laughs> sharing those am- Animal Collective songs with you from Sung Tongs <laughs> sticks out to me because of your reaction <laughs> to some of those songs, dude. Some of it, I just, I, you know, I was just dumbfounded by some of it. <laughs> yeah. You know what else was a good episode, dude? Episodes. The one with Larry, where we talked about uh, Nick Drake. And the one with uh, Nathan, where we talked about Am Rainbows. Yeah, dude. So maybe maybe we need to have more guests on the show going forward. How do we make that happen? I mean, we just... Dude, you know what? All you got to do is believe, you know? Believe to achieve. Exactly. Okay. It rhymes. All right. Um, well, maybe, maybe we'll... Uh, Maybe we'll we'll strive to get some more guests on here going forward. Yes, because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing us talk every week. You know, I have to piece together these episodes, and it's like, God damn. Ugh. Hey, well, you know what, Q? Speaking of guests, what do we have in store for the 100th episode today? Oh, yeah, this is just an intro for an episode. Okay. Yeah, let's get to it then. Um, we've brought our dear old dad along for this 100th episode to talk about Larry Carlton and specifically Larry Carlton's guitar work on uh, Steely Dan records. I mean, he is a big part of the Steely Dan uh, like ethos, you know? Like yeah. when you think about... Let's put it this way. If there's a Steely Dan song that you are a big fan of, and there's a guitar solo. I bet you it's a, a Larry Carlton guitar solo. Now, totally. I mean, 
don't get me wrong, there's plenty of great guitar players other than Larry Carlton that show up on Sealy Dan Records, and he didn't really show up until, uh, what did we find out? Katie Lyde was his first his first appearance. But arguably one of the, the, the most well-known and cherished guitar solos in Sealy Dan's catalog and in just guitar solos in general would be Kid Charlemagne which is Larry Carlton. So, you know what? We're going to get into all that. Yeah, and our dad really is like the best person, you know, that that we know that that we could easily access to talk about this stuff with, dude. You know, he was a DJ in the 70s. He played a ton of Steely Dan uh songs during his stint on these on these, you know, top 40 stations. You know, and he was the reason why we're as big of music fans as we are. It's just our entire life has been music-centered because of this man. Um, so we we were honored to have him on um, and excited to, to share this, like, 100th episode moment with him. It, it was a great conversation. We dive into to Larry Carlton and Steely Dan. We, we talk a little bit about Michael McDonald. We play a lot of great guitar solos. This is the first time we've done a whole episode dedicated to guitar solos specifically not songs but solos yeah really it's the first episode where 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 it's just been focused on on a specific person's like contribution to a catalog of music you know what i mean like like yeah. you said usually it's hey let's pick an album or let's look at a few albums of an artist but we're talking about songs in general but this is more we are laser focused in on the guitar solo in this song or in this song. Um, and that's pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, our, our dad's a giant, you know, lover of, of guitar music. You know, he's took us to Jeff Beck shows when we were a kid and he took us to, yeah, dude, every year we went to, to the Dallas guitar show. Yeah. Guitar show. We went to, you know, the guitar, the crossroads festival, you know, with Eric Clapton and CZ top and all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's stop, let's stop yapping. And, uh, and and get into the episode here. So, uh, without further ado, here is our conversation uh, with our father, Stan, about Larry Carlton and Steely Dan. All right, Q. So episode four, we had our big brother Spencer on for the Foo Fighters episode. And it was all right. It was an all right episode. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Now, here we are in our hundredth episode. We're going to talk about the guitar player, Larry Carlton. And, and, you know, in context of Steely Dan. And we thought to ourselves, who better to have on this episode than our father, Mr. Stan Self, who's waiting in the wings right now on Skype with us. Hello, sons. Hey, Dad. I feel like we've mentioned you on this podcast like quite a bit, just like in passing, just like talking about 
oh, you know, we used to listen to this, you know, dad used to play this in the music room growing up or whatever. So like, you know, we've essentially like credited you with, with, um, you know, sparking our lifelong passion for music. So it only makes sense that, that you would be on this podcast at some point. So I figured the hundredth episode would be a good one to have you on. I'm flattered to be here. So, um, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about your radio past. Like I know bits and pieces of it, but you were a radio DJ in the seventies, correct? Correct. At a small town of Abilene, Texas, which unless you're in Texas, you probably have no idea where Abilene is, but it was a like top of the charts type radio station, right? A top 40 station. Um, and so we were, we were trying to do what a lot of FM stations were doing, and that was moving FM into the mainstream, whereas prior to that, FM had been pretty much either beautiful music or public radio or album rock. And um, as uh, more and more cars began to be uh, available with FM radios in them, you began to get hit radio and country hit radio onto FM where stereo could come into play because AM was mono only. So we were at that uh, that point in time where FM was becoming uh, much more mainstream. And it coincided with the deregulation of radio, which brought, you know, literally thousands of new FM stations into the country. That, that's great. So that was all happening in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, Reagan deregulated um, radio uh, early in the 80s, but it began to, it ticked off a little bit before that, even during the Carter administration. And uh, so prior to deregulation, you had about uh, maybe at most six FM stations per major market. Um, but because of the way FM technically works, you can have radio stations as, as close as, uh, you know, two you know, frequency points apart, like 91.1 and 91.3 can coexist together. You can't do that with AM. You got to have a lot more separation. So you can almost have an unlimited number of FM stations. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So dad, did you get, did you have a say in, in what, music you played or did you just get handed a list actually i was the uh, morning drive uh, dj and the music director so i had 100 percent control over what music we played cool yeah. man that sounds awesome so did it have to be it had to be singles right well we uh we tried to uh, mirror the national um major market hit radio stations because that's what everybody tried to do uh, there was a very much a uh, an admiration society at work among probably eight or ten national uh, hit radio stations, and um, and everybody mirrored that. So you'd look at Radio and Records magazine and Billboard magazine and see what the other stations were playing, and um, and then you'd mirror that to a certain extent. But you might put a few uh, songs in there that you thought would appeal to your local market. Uh, not necessarily L.A. or Chicago or New York, but something that would be more for your local market. So in Texas, we might have a few more crossover country hits, right? Like uh, oh, sure. a little bit more Kenny Rogers or um, Dolly Parton or something like that could cross over a little bit more often. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had to play You had to play some Willie Nelson, right? Let me think about that. Um, 
Yeah, there were a couple of Willie crossovers. You know, the uh, uh, Poncho and Lefty that he did with Waylon Jennings. That was a crossover. Um, and uh, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys, which came out of the movie The Electric Cowboy, Electric Horseman, I think, or something like that, with Robert Redford and Jane Fonda. They were in that movie. So, See, Dad, you're... you're- you're talking to to some young thirty somethings. We have no idea yeah, what, what, what I, any of I that understand. meant, but that's okay. Yeah. So, um, were you at the station with Steely Dan? Uh, as far as like, you know, it seems like their heyday was seventy, you know, mid seventies, basically, right? Were you there? Did do you remember playing any Steely Dan oh, sure. tracks? Oh sure. And you know the way Top Forty works today, and even then, is you play the current hits. You play recurrent hits, which were probably, you know, a year, year and a half old. And then you'd play oldies, which go back you know, maybe 10 years or more. So we played a lot of Steely Dan. Uh, the first significant radio interview that I did live was with Michael McDonald during his first recording with the Doobie Brothers. And on that interview, we talked about doobies and his time with steely dan so it was very interesting yeah that's awesome so can i just say so like how is it that 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 uh we don't know that i i had no idea that you had interviewed michael mcdonald i knew that you did i think we talked about it a little bit yeah so um that's that's cool because we have Michael McDonald is appearing on this episode because I have him included yeah. in the uh, I the, I got the news clip that I put together. Yeah, the, so the Doobies actually um, came through Abilene on their tour westbound from Dallas to Abilene to Lubbock. They hit college towns, of course, where all the smart people were going to yeah. be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm surprised that they let you in that they let Doobie Brothers into Abilene. Texas, <laughs> to be quite honest, with you. oh, we we got <laughs> we got everybody back then. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dad, another question I wanted to ask. This is just something I don't know about you. Um, was music a significant part of your childhood like it was ours? It was. And I wish I had done a little bit more of what you guys did, and that is learn to play an instrument, which I didn't do. But yeah, no, music was huge for me. Um was that because of your parents? You know, like was music just part of your household, like it, like it was ours? No, not not in the same okay. way at that's all. That's what we. That's what we. Figured. That's that's really what I was curious about. Yeah, yeah, no, not really. So you had to you had to go outward to find your music. Like, so I guess because if that's the case, like, was there a friend or like somebody that like who who got you into music? Because at some point you obviously started to go outward and, and listen to rock and stuff that probably our grandparents, uh, your parents wouldn't have approved of, right. right? Your Aunt Sheila, my older sister by 11 years, was a music fanatic. This is oh, news cool. to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, she had a great collection of 45 RPMs, and um, she would stay up at night and call the radio station and make requests. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> wait to see if somebody was if they were going to play it. Um, oh, and uh, I remember I the day it. she brought home "Meet the Beatles" the album, mm-hmm. and we played that about ten times over and over and over. So I have to credit her with her with my love for pop music. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, uh, let's 
you guys want to talk about Steely and Larry Carlton? Yeah, let's get right into it. Okay. So, um, Larry Carlton. He is also known as Mr. 335. And I know that, um, Dad, you know what that means. Quentin did not know what that means. I sure as yep. heck don't know what that it's means. It's a Gibson. Yeah, that's the oh, Gibson. Oh, was that his, his guitar of choice or something? He's been playing it for decades, yeah. Um, that's his signature guitar. It's an ES-335. Um, so chances are what you're hearing on the Steely Records is his ES-335 um, that he's played forever. So um, like we said earlier, we're talking about Larry Carlton in the context of Steely Dan. In other words, his guitar contributions to the Steely Dan records that he appeared on. And he was on every record uh, from Katie Lyde to Gaucho. Um, and so that's from 1975 to 1980. Um, and, you know, his contributions kind of, it, it seems like, you know, with his first one on Katie Lyde, there wasn't really much of a guitar solo, you know, but although the guitar is very prominent in that song, if you listen to it, I mean, it's, it's always there in the background and it does have a very, it's right along with, with Donald's voice and stuff, you know, but I think Larry Carlton is known primarily for his guitar solo on Kid Charlemagne, which was the Royal Scam 1976. So that's our first clip for today. As far as like, when you look at his um, his Wikipedia page, which has a bunch of his discography. It's kind of ridiculous if you scroll down. Yeah, there. most of his contributions are as a studio musician. And like prominently with Steely Dan and Joni Mitchell as well. And then just a whole host of other people. Yeah, yeah I mean, got... I, I counted like over 30 albums that he appears on just with random people. Yeah, and he's, you know, to, to like some of the more notable stuff. He was on uh, Off the Wall by Michael Jackson. Um, I'm trying to th- see any other people that are well-known. Uh, the Nightfly, Donald Fagan. Yeah, he's singer yep. for Steely. He recorded with John Lennon and Sammy Davis Jr. So, yeah, a lot. Yeah, so th- this is like the guy that you want on your album. He's basically. one of the the one of the greatest guitar players uh, of all time, probably. You would say that too, right? Yes, uh, as far as electric guitar players, top five, probably. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, so um, well, let's play our, some tunes then. Yeah, right our first it. our first clip is is Kid Charlemagne. So um, it's actually it's an extended clip because there's kind of two guitar solos in the song. So I'm um, what I wanted to do with each of these clips is give at least some sort of like lead in into the solo because it helps to hear the solo like in context with the song. Right. Um, but in this one in particular, like you're going to hear quite a bit of the song because the second solo in the song actually fades the song out. So let's just listen to it and then, and then we'll talk about it.
Okay, so that that is the 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 guitar solo that kind of um, you know put him on on the map as far as like you know legendary guitar solos. It it shows up on a ton of lists, you know, of of best guitar solos of all time. Rolling Stone put it as as number eighty on their list of of a hundred, uh, which you know it's it's high up there, right? I mean, I would say that it's probably a lot better than some of the the bottom 80 on that list right but any chance you know what what was the number one for that list i'm trying to find an old like article here oh here we go i got it number one can you guys try to take a guess the van halen nope that's number six eruption is number six it's actually not what i would have thought it's johnny b good by chuck berry okay it was ground it was groundbreaking so, yeah, I was gonna say that's probably because it's sort of like the start of all mm-hmm. of it, right? Yeah, you can't have guitar solos without Johnny B. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Stairway to Heaven is number eight on the album on the list. Um, okay. But yeah, so it's a. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great guitar solo because of how how many things like he's doing in that. So I watched this video, and maybe we'll put post it in the um, in the show notes. I think Q, you're familiar with this guy, and um, Dad, if you're if you're not familiar with him, you should probably check out some of his videos because he goes into into depth uh, quite a bit when he talks about songs, and he has a a series of videos called "What Makes This Song Great." It's a guy named Rick Beto, and he has a, um, a YouTube channel, uh, and he he did a "What Makes This Song Great" on Kid Charlemagne. And he broke down the solo like note for note, basically, and talked about how great it is, um, more so than I could ever try to reproduce. So I'm not going to try to, but maybe we'll post a, a link to that video on the show notes. But um, so, Dad, like, what do you think as far as like what I want to know? Because I'm not too familiar with Larry Carlton's solo stuff. Do you think like does it sound to you like he used his time with Seely Dan to? like experiment and try new things? Or is this kind of more in line with what his solo stuff is? This is pretty much Carlton. Okay. Classic Carlton. If you um, listen to his solo albums, what you'll learn is that as he writes his songs, he also writes the improvised solos. And that's what he does with all of his um, studio work too. He actually writes the solos out note for note and then plays them. And so when he does a concert and recreates his solo, it sounds exactly as it does in the original studio recording. So, yeah, this is classic Carlton. He does it in the keys that he needs to do for the song. But other than that, it's his style. So it's like, I mean, what's the style? It's like, it's it's blues, bluesy. Bluesy jazz. And jazz. Lots of note bending, you know. And as yeah, a he player, does a lot of note bending. Understand the the string bending aspect of what he's doing. So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he's doing a lot of sliding too. He slide, slide, and hammering on, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, but I mean, do you think that's why Steely Dan went back to him over and over again because he's the perfect fusion guitar player, and they're like one of the best fusion bands of all time. You know, like he's exactly like he's the he's the guitar version of of Seely Dan, if you want to think of it that way. Pretty much. I mean, if you... Th- it's like a perfect marriage, yeah, right? If you think of the guitarists that they worked with the most, Skunk Baxter, Denny Diaz, and Carlton, 
they're very different, yet they all have a jazz component to what they can do on the key, on the on the on the fretboard. Mm-hmm. Let me quote Walter Becker here and a um, article I read about Larry Carlton and Steely Dan um, talking about Royal Scam. You know, Becker says, you know, if, if that's the definitive Steely Dan guitar album, then Larry Carlton is the reason why. Yeah. And he says, um, you know, there would be a lot of volatile people with volatile music styles in the room. And in a lot of cases, it seemed to me that Larry, more than anybody else, was holding things together rhythmically and in other ways. So, like, like you're saying, they worked with a lot of different guitar players, but it, I guess once Larry got in the mix, he just kind of like honed in on a specific sound, and that's usually what they went with for their they, guitar work. They also credited him with writing the rhythm tracks on Asia and Gaucho. So he actually writes a lot of the rhythm tracks for the entire song. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, so we can listen to the next solo on Kid Charlemagne, or we can move to the next one if you guys want to. Yeah, uh, let's play it. Let's let's listen to the rest of it. Okay. All right, so um, like I said earlier, there, there are two distinct solos on Kid Charlemagne, so let's listen to that second one. That's how the song ends. It fades out with the song or the solo. So um, I also wanted to put the reason that that was an extended clip with the verse is because that might be one of my favorite Steely Dan lines of all time. There's gas or he says, is there gas in the car? I think the people down the hall know who you are. (laughs) I love that. That's great. I love the story. Like if you, if you look at the lyrics here, it's about like a Coke dealer or something like that. And he's trying to make a getaway basically. Because somebody's on to him. But anyway. Um. I just noticed something I have to point out to you guys. You know, okay. we work with the program Garage Band on this podcast, right? Yeah. So the logo or the icon for Garage Band is a Gibson 335. Oh, uh, <laughs> you're right. There you go. Wow. There you go. So. Um, if you have GarageBand at home, you can play along with it. Looks us. just like Larry Carlton's guitar. <laughs> that 
It does, yeah. Same. It's yeah, the same finish and everything. That's great. Yep, 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 yep. Um, it's like it was meant to be. The whole thing. <laughs> anyway, so let's move on to the next track. It actually is the next track on the album too. Um, this is also on Katie Lied. No, shit. Royal Scam. Um, this is called Don't Take Me Alive. And if Walter Becker said that this is their like best guitar album, it's known as their best guitar album. Yeah, that's what, yeah. The, the definitive Steely Dan guitar record. Yeah, obviously Kid Charlemagne is probably one of those reasons. But I feel like this intro is, I mean, if you're on the fence about Larry Carlton as a guitar player, like this, this is my favorite intro guitar intro maybe of all time. So, I mean, that's how you start a song right there. <laughs> uh, Dad, did you own a copy of Royal Scam? Yes, I did. Did you, did you like it? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you hear that intro, even if you're not a blues guitar fan, you will be. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, there's nothing not to – there's nothing – to hate about that. You know, it's just so good. It's and, also how um, the, the perfect uh, song for showing how blues and rock are intricately linked, you know? Yeah. And that's what Steely Dan, that's, that's why I love Steely Dan so much is because they, they take jazz and blues and rock and just like fuse them together in like the, in the perfect way, you know? Um, but yeah, so I have a quote here um, about this intro from Larry Carlton. He was talking about how like, you know, it it really goes in like like you're right in the middle of it like well, let me say that again so like it starts really heavily right aside from that sort of 
that chord that he kind of slowly plays that it starts out with. And he said that that was actually Donald Fagan's idea. He says, there was no chord in front of the beginning of the song. I don't know what else we tried, but Donald was the one who finally just said, why don't we just put a big chord in front of it? It was that simple. I went out into the room where my amp was and stood in front of it and tweaked until there was the right tone. And then I did four or five or six of those chords to where everything rang. They adjusted the limiter and everything so it really sat like they wanted it to. But Donald was right. So I think that's kind of interesting. I like, and I, and I really love how that starts, right? Because it's, you know, he kind of slowly plucks the notes of that chord and lets it kind of sit there for a little bit. And then it the drums come in and it all sort of starts, you know. But heavy fuzz. Yeah, heavy fuzz. But yeah, that's you know, we can credit Donald for that. Well, but, so he um, was saying that that the song was just gonna start just right. right there, like just go right into it. And they're like, Well, I don't you know, I don't kinda I don't like how that sounds. Let's figure out something to ease us into it. Why yeah, don't exactly. we just put a big chord in front of it? Right. I, I yeah, I, I think that was a good a good choice. But um one thing I also like about the songs that he appears in, or at least the ones we played so far. When you heard in that clip toward the end, there was another little guitar riff that he had. Mm-hmm. It seems like he, you know, he likes to do that where if you hear him in the background of a guitar or of a song where it's not the solo, like it's sort of like he's teasing that solo again. Yes, I've that, noticed you know that. What I mean? Yep. Yeah. It's like you're getting, you're hearing a little glimpse of it before it happens. You know. Yeah, it is kind of. It is. Well, cool. I mean, in that case, in that case, the solo is the very first thing of the song. But in other, there's other examples uh, where you'll hear him throw a lick in there that's kind of a, a nod back to the solo or to the solo that's coming up. You know, and I like that. I've always liked that. Uh, I think, hey, Trav, I think we should probably pause real quick, take a quick break. And then we'll we'll get back into it. And we're back. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Asia. So there was a um, I'm not sure what the if it was a, a, a channel that put these out or if it was just something that just existed separately. But there's this really great series called the Classic Albums. Um, where they go into the studio with the musicians and talk about an album. And there was one that was done on Asia. So it's got, you know, Donald and Walter and a bunch of the studio musicians from that session uh, back in the studio. And they're sort of going, you know, track by track and talking about it. And um, there's a clip that I, that I found of Walter kind of talking about Carlton's contributions to the album and it sounds like kind of probably the, the approach that he had with every album. Uh, so let's play that interview clip real quick. I, I think of myself as the person that they wanted to be the liaison between themselves and the studio musicians. They would give me their demo tape, and it had those wonderful piano parts on it, and many of the bass parts were on there also. And I would be the person that would take those notes off of the tape, fill in the blanks where they weren't sure of what they wanted to be played, and then I would take that, that chart to the session, and I would be the person who was familiar with the song out in the studio with the studio musicians. So if Donald or Walter would say, Larry, we're, when we go to the bridge at the such and such, I would be able to tell the musicians that's bar 19, B flat 7th with a raised 9.
Okay, so that was Larry talking about how he would get the uh, the charts. I guess is what he what he what he said um, before the sessions would start, and that's probably how he would write his solo. You know, because you talked about how he likes to write his solos out completely. That's probably why he wanted to get the charts ahead of time. You would think. So it sounds. So it sounds like all the other musicians would turn to him, you know, and he would kind of yeah. direct them into what they need to do next. Right. And if you think about it, like, um, there were, I think there were some other musicians that had recorded with Steely Dan previously on Asia as well. But like, this is his third rodeo, you know, if you will, like with, with Steely Dan. So like, you know, he's, he's, he's done this with them. Like he knows how it goes, but obviously Asia was like the most complicated album that they put together. So I'm sure it was pretty, and they had so many people coming in and out of that door, you know, it was a revolving door of like these studio musicians. So Larry was probably one of the, like the solid, like constants in the studio, you know, so it probably made sense for him to, to kind of lead like that. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. So, um, we have a clip of the song. I got the news, which, uh, as I said earlier, has Mr. Michael McDonald on it. Um, and I, I always love hearing his voice. Me too. You know, he's got that classic voice. Me too. You, you guys just like the Family Guy episode, right? <laughs> there is a classic Family Guy episode with Mike McDonald, which is funny. Okay, so this is I Got the News. It's off of Asia. came out in 1977, if you didn't already know that. And here we go.
Yeah, the tone that he gets on that guitar is just amazing. Yeah, so he dialed back the uh, the the fuzz for sure. Well, that song is a jazz song. Period. There's yeah. There's yeah. not yeah, there's not that. much rock feel to that at all. It's uh, pure jazz. Right. One thing I was curious about, Dad, um, how different was Steely Dan like in the landscape of music throughout the seventies? Like, what was you know what what made them stand apart from from everything else that was going on back then? Well, a lot of pure rock and roll fans never accepted Steely Dan. They thought that they were too jazzy. They had horns on every album. Right, and, and backup singers in every song, pretty much. Yeah, and, and just the, the way they wrote the songs were much more jazz than rock. Uh, yeah. And so they weren't accepted. In fact, for a long time, they weren't even on the ballot for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame forever. Uh, they were very late additions. So you, what was the first song of theirs that you heard? Was it Reeling in the Years? Do It Again. Okay. Same album. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Reeling in the Years, to me, it, that's a rock song, you know? In f- yeah. fact, the opening is song. one of the great rock openings of all songs, period. Uh, I agree. Oh, I yeah. Agree. Definitely. Yeah, Dini, that, that riff. Dini Diaz that's, solo is amazing at the start. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, that's funny because that's their first yeah. album. So, you think that that would have put them right into the rock? Yeah. You know? Did they, were they were they considered rock on that record, or was it still considered? Well, "Do It Again" was a pure pop song and a big hit, but um, you know they they quickly got the reputation of being far too jazzy, not enough rock, not enough guitar, yeah. too many horns. Um, there were two or three songs on that album, uh, like um, "Dirty Work," that was too jazzy for them. Uh, and then Carly Simon did the hit version of Dirty Work, and uh, that made it even more pop jazz. And so the pure rock fans of the time who were listening to Sabbath and Zeppelin and the Stones were getting harder at that time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a few other progressive rock bands, they just couldn't find a, a spot for where Steely Dan should fit in that new world order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and Steely Dan got got jazzier and jazzier, they too, do. if you think about it. Because by the time you get to Asia and Gaucho, it's super jazzy, you know? Oh, yeah. But um, anyway, what I like about that song is how it's it's sort of that solo, and then it's they kind of go back. There's a lot of like going back and forth between the guitar and, and the piano. Like a little piano yeah. ditty, and then like the vocals. It's cool. I like how, I like how they do. And that. Michael McDonald shows up. You know, what's not to? I like? know. I mean, there's nothing exactly. I mean, he really does have one of the most unique voices. Oh, you, you can, know, yeah, ever. Yeah, you can pick his his it's, voice out anywhere. And he was with Steely Dan from the beginning. Really? Yeah, I think he showed up That's on cool. Pretzel Logic for the first time. Yeah. Yes. I believe so. I I think Pretzel Logic might be my favorite Steely Dan record. Just throwing that yeah. out there. I mean, that's what we. So, um, we, I guess we 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 mentioned that the last episode that came out was actually a um, 
uh, an early recording that we did that was sort of re-released. But yeah, we talked about Pretzel Logic last week. Technically, it was like two years ago that we talked about it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, no song from Steely Dan made it higher up the charts than Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Oh, it yeah. got to number three. Well, there you go. And nothing was ever higher from them on the top 40 charts. Which is kind of kind of amazing to me because it's a super um, – there's not much rock on that song either, you know? All right. So let's see here. We got one more song to play here. And what I like about this one, in contrast to the other clips we've heard, is um, it's a – very different sounding guitar, um, both in the sound and just the 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 genre that it that it is closer to than than jazz or, or blues. I would say so. Um, this is off of the next album, Gaucho, which came out in 1980. This is the very last track. It's called Third World Man. So lots of lots of sliding and lots mm-hmm. of lots of bending on that one. So I mean, it's a slide guitar, right? He's he's got a slide. Um, so it's it's almost like a it's the closest thing to like a country kind of guitar sound almost. Then uh, almost back to like Pretzel Logic. Talk about Pretzel Logic with uh with the with the uh, gun with the yeah. gun. Yeah, you know how that was kind of had yeah. that kind of country almost vibe yeah. to it, Western kind of vibe to it. But yeah, I feel like the solo. That solo, not necessarily the song, but the solo has kind of a nod to country well, playing a little bit. Travis, you know, is a guitar player. His use of the volume pedal was really unique, and he sort of created the whole sound around swelling the volume with the volume pedal off the amp uh, as opposed to using the knobs on the guitar. And you could really hear it in that song. Yeah, no, now that you said that, yeah. So here's another interesting fact about this song. Um, it almost didn't make it onto to Gaucho. It was actually a, a session from the Royal Scam uh, days. So I've got a quote here from, from Larry Carlton, the man himself here. He says about Gaucho, um, when Billboard magazine came out and reviewed it, 
they said, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, great guitar solo by Larry Carlton. And I said, but I didn't play on Gaucho. They'd cut it in New York. I didn't play on it. So I found out later they had finished mixing Gaucho in New York and one of the second engineers erased one of their master tracks. So Third World Man was in the can from the Royal, the Royal Scam and they had to reach back in the old tapes and find something to finish the album. Wow. And that's how I ended up on Gaucho. Wow, that's cool. He wasn't in the studio for Gaucho. Like he, he really didn't, if you think about it, he didn't contribute to the Gaucho album other than they found this old, they, they had to basically finish the album out because um, there's like these lost Steely Dan songs that were on these master tracks that were erased by an engineer. And you can actually, you can find them. There, there are a couple of tracks that have been dug up that were from this old session that was erased. So there are definitely some, uh, some B sides out there if you want of, uh, stuff that was supposed to be on Gaucho. But I think that's kind of interesting that, um, and you know, what's funny is like when you listen to third world man, like compared to the rest of the Gaucho stuff, it doesn't sound like it belongs on the record. Yeah. No, it doesn't. So it kind of makes sense. If you think and that's about funny it. too, that he, <laughs> he reads a, a billboard article and he's like, what? Hang on. What? I wasn't in Gaucho. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's kind of funny that, that they didn't reach out to him and tell him like, hey, by the way, you're going to show up on this record. There's got to be countless recordings from Steely Dan that just never found their way to albums. Sure. There's going to be tons yeah. of songs that we've never heard. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Gaucho is, um, you know, those three three years after Asia came out and there's only seven songs there must have been you know you know many other song ideas they must have had in a three-year span between asia and gaucho yeah and they it, it comes down to seven or eight if you think about the two that were lost on the master session but i mean it's crazy you know there must have been tons of stuff well if you think about a, a recording session that got divided or split larry carlton was working on a solo album called on solid ground and he was involved in a shooting. He actually got shot in the throat what? walking out of the guitar studio uh, in the middle of that session. And so the last four songs on that album had to be done after he finished rehab of about 10 months. But he, his vocal cords were destroyed. He got shot in the throat. What um, was yeah. that? Just a stray bullet? No, it was just uh, apparently a juvenile gang just driving by, shooting yeah. out the window of a car, and just yeah, just randomly just picked him. Jeez, it was in Burbank, California. Oh my God. Yeah, it says here his left arm was paralyzed, and for six months he was unable to play more than a few notes. So I mean, yeah, that's he could he could have lost his ability to play guitar. So. Good thing he recovered. But that's a great album to listen to because not only because of the fact that he came back and for the tunes yeah. when he was when he recovered, but it it takes you through almost every style that he mastered from jazz, blues to rock. It's a really cool album. And that was during the era when he wasn't playing a three thirty five. He uh, became a designer and worked with a group called Valley Arts, and they made solid body electrics in the 80s. And uh, this is sort of a hybrid Strat Tele thing that they created that he recorded most of that album with. That's cool. Hmm. Yep. 
Oh yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. That is that's a cool looking guitar. Yeah, there you go. I wonder what Gibson thought about that. I don't know. <laughs> they had plenty of people playing their guitars that were more well known than Larry Carlton. I'm afraid. Back then. <laughs> that's true. As far as uh, rock and roll gods, there are plenty of oh, plenty yeah. of Gibson players out there. Plenty. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that's that's what we have for you as far as our steely larry carlton uh episode but i do have another clip here because we were talking about what he did afterwards and maybe what led him to to want to do more stuff outside of the studio i have a um a clip i'm not sure when this was recorded but it was definitely an interview from the 80s i want to say because he had just put out he had just put out the record sleepwalk came out in 1982 and he had done this interview um with these guys specifically about all of his years of like studio sessions and like the kind of the toll that it, that it played on him over time. So let's listen to that real quick. I think, as you said, doing 20 sessions a week for three or four years, that's five, 600 sessions a year. It became a job in the beginning. I really enjoyed that. I felt I was contributing to the records I was playing on. I was learning. I was playing, I've always said this in my interviews, but I was playing with some of the best musicians in the world every day, nine or 10 hours a day, and getting paid for it. So you're making money, your growth as a musician is phenomenal. As I say, working with that caliber of players mm. all of the time. But doing it that much, it became a job. And I noticed in about 1976, I started not enjoying, I wasn't looking forward to going to those sessions. I wanted to give because I'd been giving for the past five years. I go to a session, I'll give them the best I can all of the time. So to me, that was an indication that possibly it was time to make some kind of a change. I didn't want to do a session and not play my best because my heart yeah. wasn't into it. It was, you know, I wouldn't do it just for the money. So at that time, I became interested in record production. So, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting when you think of it that way. Like, if you're a studio musician, it is kind of a day job, you know, in a way. Um, it's a lot of hours, too. Yeah. And, like, when you look at his his uh, Wikipedia page where it lists out his studio sessions, he, you know, from 1971 all the way to 79, so basically the entire decade of the 70s, he, he was in the studio you know, and like he said, he got to work with the best musicians out there, which, you know, you know, you can't really measure how, how that impacted his, his career. I mean, it's probably, yeah, probably what made him who he is. Right. But you know, if you're somebody like him, like you're not really getting to do what, what you want to do. But it does yeah. allow him to be so flexible because, you know, you and I talked yeah. about his work with Michael Franks and a lot of other jazz artists like the Crusaders, his uh, versatility came from all those hours of working on different kinds of records, different kinds of bands. Uh, he had to be a chameleon every day. Yeah, totally. You know, it's funny you said that, that Michael Frank's album is not listed on his Wikipedia. Really? Hmm. Maybe I should edit the, uh, the, the article here. Wikipedia Become is not Wikipedia perfect. editor here. No, it is not. Um, but yeah, it says with others, and it lists a ton of albums. The the Michael Franks record is not on here, unless Michael Franks spells his name in some weird way, and I'm not searching for it correctly. I'm not seeing it. Well, here. two of the Michael Franks recordings were made with the Crusaders, so the entire okay recording was 
made with the Crusaders and Michael Franks. And that was during the time that uh, Carlton was with the Crusaders. Dad, did you know that uh, Larry Carlton shows up on Christopher Cross's debut album? Absolutely. Great solo. Is that the one that we used to oh, listen yeah, to all dude, the with, time? The, with the flamingo on the cover? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good yeah. stuff. We used to clean our room to that song. <laughs> to what, sailing? <laughs> no. Well, if it's this, the record I'm looking at. Yep. <laughs> all right. So I guess that'll do it. Yeah, that's it. Just a little sidetrack. I mean, it's a little bit longer than our, our normal sidetracks, but that's because we've got our, our pops on here. And this is the 100th episode, so this is kind of special. It was an honor to be here. This, I mean, it's this feels full circle, Dad. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, think about it. This is, you know, what is podcast, if not, uh, you know, the, the next evolution of the radio format. So we've kind of uh, followed in your footsteps here. True. And we do have full control over the music that's played, which is sort of like, you know, how you were the music director. We don't get paid to do this, which is one difference, but... Um, Someday. Maybe one yeah. day. Maybe <laughs> one day. Uh, so, hey, can you give us a radio sign-off? A radio sign-off? Okay. What was your what was your call sign from back there, from, from back in the 70s? You know, I had two or three different air names. You, you never used your own name because you had the beauty of anonymity. Sure. They never saw right. your face, right? Um, this is the No Filler Podcast, 100th episode, wrapping up. Yeah. Beautiful. Coming at you, not live. Okay. <laughs> Coming at you pre-recorded. <laughs> uh, Traffic and weather next. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heavily edited. Anyway, uh, so that's that. Um, go to, uh, as we always say at the end of the uh, episodes here, Check us out on pantheonpodcasts.com where you'll find plenty of other great music podcast content. Uh, check us out on nofillerpodcast.com, which is our website. You'll find all of our previous shows and our show notes. And that's that. Q, um, do we want to tease what we're, what we're doing next week or no? Mm. I'm going to do it. Okay. So next week we're talking about another great guitar player. Mr. Jeff Beck, and we're going to cover Blow by Blow. Yeah. So this has been a good little stint of um, of 70s, 70s rock, which I feel like we haven't spent enough time in. So yeah. now we've got plenty of great yeah. albums that we've and talked you know about what? here. While he's here, I mean, Dad, you're the one who showed us Jeff Beck. I, you know, And this album specifically. Yeah, Blow by Blow. I remember listening to a lot of that album in, in your car, Dad. Um do you remember seeing him live at the Majestic Theater in oh, Dallas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was an awesome show. I mean, yep. technically, we saw him at the um, Crossroads Festival, oh, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he right. was there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Q, I think you said it um, at some point. I don't know if this is on the podcast or not, but every time I listen to this album, I'm kind of the same way with you. It's like I'm always blown away by it. Um, pun intended, Jeff, I guess. Oh, Jeff Beck, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's an incredible album. There's so much going on. For me, it's. I mean, I'm blown away by the by the drummer, the whoever yeah. they had in the, in in that session. Man, he's just a machine. Well, well, yeah, we'll have to figure out who that was. Yeah. But yeah. And the Beatles producer did those two albums, Wired and Blow by Blow. Really, so really? They were George recorded Martin. It, yeah, at Abbey Road. <laughs> ah, I didn't know that. Dang. Well, there you go. That that, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Um. 
All right, we'll save this for later. I'm looking at Paul McCartney is listed as the writer for She's a Woman. What? Yep. And John Lennon. Is that a Beatles song? Yeah. What? Holy shit. All right, we're, we're at a lot. We got a lot to talk about next week. <laughs> uh, I didn't know any of that. Um, okay, so that'll be next week. Um, uh, yeah, that'll do it for us this week. So my name is Travis. And my name is Quentin. Dad, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Let's yeah. do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do it again. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. I'll take care. Guys, it's going to be a long night of Border Patrol, so I brought along Michael McDonald to help us out. How's he going to help us? He's going to do backup vocals for everything we say. How's he going to know What's what we're saying? How's he going to know what we're saying? Is he going to do it for all yes, of us? Yes, he's going to do it for all of us. Yeah, I hired him for the night. Yeah, it costs like two fifty an hour, so don't skip on the conversation. Hours, so don't skip on the conversation. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.